Hello, I'm Todd Starnes, lead pastor of Odessa First Assembly, and I'm grateful that you joined us today. I hope and pray that this message will encourage you and bless you. And remember, you can find more information about us at odessafirstassembly.com. God bless you. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. We're going to pick up there in just a moment. I, I don't know about you or how you're wired, but I, does anybody enjoy banquets? Anybody like going to banquets? Raise your hand if you like. There's some, some of you like going to banquets. I am not a banquet person. I do not enjoy them. Um, I don't know why that is. Well, let me, I'll, I'll put it this way. I like banquets that I like going to. I don't like banquets that I'm required to go to. I don't know if that's the rebellion part of me or what it is, but when I'm required, I'm just like, I'm, I don't want to go. I mean, if I'm required to go, there's been more than one time where Angela has gotten on to me for misbehaving during a banquet. Um, I recently went to a banquet I really enjoyed, the Life Center, and uh, uh, a great speaker, great food, great company. I mean, there's times that I, I enjoy that, but in ministry, it seems like that I'm a, there's a lot of banquets I'm required to go to, and it's like, not another one. And, uh, but I'm going to tell you what, there's a banquet that I'm not going to miss. And you read about that. I, I didn't have you turn there. It will be on the screen. But I just want to read just a quick passage about that banquet in Revelations 19, verse 6. And it says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the war of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Verse 8, it was granted. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright, pure. The fine linen of the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's going to be enchiladas, just so you know. But we're going to look at the great banquet in, in Luke chapter 14. Now, this is part three of our parable series, and there's a lot happening in Luke chapter 14. As a matter of fact, it's really hard to kind of jump in just kind of on verse 15 because verses 1 through 14 are really in context of the entire story of what's going on right here. So it's going to, when we pick up in verse 15, it's going to be kind of like, What's going on? And uh, I, I just didn't have time to focus on those first 14 verses, but we're jumping right in the middle of something happening, and we're going to look at beginning in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, this is Jesus talking, verse 16, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. First, the first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Verse 19, And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I have to go examine them. Please have me exude. Verse, verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, 
what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. Verse 23, and the master said, go to, this, to the servant, go to the highways, the hedges, and compel. Everyone say compel. Compel people to come in, and my house may be full. And then in verse 24, he says something very straightforward. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Strong words that he even closes up with what uh, was going really in a, a great direction. But So here's this man. He gives a great banquet. He has invited many. And the time for the banquet, he sent out the servant to remind them. You know, you got to remember, this is way back the first century. And usually the custom was is when you were preparing for the banquet, you sent out your invitations. But like, you know, when it was, the banquet was ready, I mean, you couldn't send an email or a Facebook message or a text, you know, a group me or, or a WhatsApp message or anything like that. And so he would send the servant out again and tell everybody, okay, the banquet is ready, is come. And what we are seeing right here is uh, really uh, what is kind of we see in, in the Old Testament in that there were many invited in the Old Testament, especially with the Hebrew and Jewish nation. They were invited by great men, by prophets, by kings, by judges, here in, like Moses and Joshua and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Isaiah and Samuel. And matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 21, we read this, Matthew 21 verse 35 this is another parable that we're, we're probably not going to look at, but I wanted to draw this out to show you uh, what's happening here. The tenant seized his servants. Um, they beat the one. This is about the, the tenants in the, in the field, Matthew 21. The tenant seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent an other servants to them and more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Less of all, he sent his son. And that was a picture of what was happening because the Old Testament, because God sent messengers. He sent judges, prophets to speak his truth. And what happened was, is that children of Israel, many times over and over and over, rejected the message, rejected the prophets, rejected what they had to say. And so the first part of this parable, that's really what we're seeing Unfold, And I'm going to tell you that rejection of Christ is just not something that we see in the Old Testament. Right now in our culture, we are seeing a rejection of Jesus, a rejection of biblical truths, a rejection of biblical values. And, and I, I, I've gotten to the place that, uh, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I rarely, 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 and it was like just a little thing, but, you know, I don't, I don't use Facebook or social media to rant, but I got so frustrated this week with so many saying, I'm a Christian, but, and, and, and everything they said after the but was completely against biblical values. Come on, somebody, help me. I mean, I'm trying not to get on a soapbox, but I'm telling you, our culture is deceived. Our culture is deceived, and, and I, I, I'm getting so tired of, I'm a Christian, but I believe that, uh, that women have the right to choose to abort their children. I'm a Christian, but believe you can practice a homosexual lifestyle. I'm a Christian, but I believe that you can choose your own gender. No, those things do not jive. And we see it happening more and intensifying. But if you read Matthew chapter 24, I mean, you'll see, I mean, we're in those days. We are in those last days. You know, some, I'm going to tell you, I, 
I, the church is not without fault. In some regard, the church has done it to itself through legalism and hypocrisy. There is truth in that, absolutely. I, I was reminded, but in, in Matthew chapter 8, there's something that happens. And I, you know that, I mean, the way the Antichrist spirit works is that, I mean, that's its job is to set our culture against Christ. I mean, it's anti-Christ. And, you know, God can do some amazing things. And I was thinking about Matthew chapter 8. If you look at Matthew chapter 8, you'll see where Jesus heals this guy with leprosy. You'll see where uh, there, there's an encounter with a centurion who has a sick servant. And the centurion comes to Jesus and say, heal my servant, but he's not here. And Jesus says, do you want us to go? He said, no, you can do it from right here. Jesus says, I haven't seen this much faith. And heals the servant, even though he's some distance away. Jesus even heals Peter's mother-in-law. Keep your looks to yourself. Jesus drove out demons. We see that Jesus, in Matthew 8, is where he calms the storm. But then he encounters two other demon-possessed guys. And you can read about it in uh, like 32, 30, 33, 34, I think. And so what happens is Jesus meets these two demonics and he delivers them and he casts the demons out in the pigs. And then you pick up in verse 34 and you read this. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus because of all the cool stuff he just did. That's, that's not what that verse says. Jesus hit them in the heart of their wallet. I mean, Jesus started meddling in an area, in a place that it didn't matter all the things he did previously in Matthew 8. He did something that hit too close to home. And I'm going to tell you, when God starts stirring and he starts working, he's going to hit you in the heart where it matters. He's going to stir in areas that is not going to feel good. He's going to try to shift some ideas and opinions about the way you think about things. And, and our response can't be, oh no, Jesus, we, I know you don't do a bunch of cool stuff, but you can't do this. Are, are, are we all together? You're not mad at me yet, please? It's okay. You see, people are going to reject the invitation. But, you know, I, I just want to point this out just really quick. And you see this pattern in this parable that even though that people rejected the invitation, he kept inviting he kept inviting. Even though some reject the invitation, he kept inviting. And I just want to remind you this morning that he's going to keep drawing you and wooing you and, and trying to lead you. He's going to keep stirring in you. So many times we make a mistake and we fall short and then all that condemnation starts to come on. Anybody? Is it just me? Am I the only one that makes mistakes? Probably. In this room, you're all perfect. Okay. I, I make these mistakes and it's like this, this heaps weights of condemnation begin to come down on me. But you know what the Father does? The Father still draws me. The Father still works. The Father still forgives. You're still His child. He does not reject you. He will not turn you away. He's going to draw you in that you can find that restoration and that forgiveness that you need. God still invites.
We pick up in verse 17. At that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, everything is ready. So right, the invitation went out. They got the banquet ready, and he's like, okay, tell them to get here. Tell them to come. And then we see verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. First, the first man said, I've bought a field. The other one said, I've, I, bought, I bought some yacht. I got to go test drive my oxen, man. The other one, I, I got married. There will always be excuses to not come to the table. There will always be excuses to not come to the banquet. I, can I just give you a picture of America, the United States of America? I just want to give you a quick picture. I, I, I haven't done this in a long time. I am a, like a statistics numbers guy, and I, I've tried to shy away from it. But I, there's only one way I know to express this, and, and it's, it's through kind of percentages and numbers. Did you know that only 6% of churches in America are growing? Only 6% of churches in America are growing. Seven, but listen, 70% of Americans say they are Christians. The key word is say. 70% say they are Christians, but 40% of Americans categorize themselves as churchgoers. So let me give you the number for that. So 132 million people in America say they are churchgoers, yet only 22 million go to church. I want to say that again. 40% of Americans say they're churchgoers, but only 17% of those actually go to church. 25% of churchgoers. So now we're talking about that 22, I haven't lost you yet. Do you have a headache yet? Okay. Of that 22 million people, 25% of those come three out of eight Sundays. The average church attendee misses 26 Sundays a year. And yet scripture tells us do not forsake the assembling of one another. There's always an excuse. You know, there was all kinds of things I wanted to say, but I thought I might get in a whole lot less trouble if I let somebody else do it in a song. So we're going to watch a video just really quick that kind of illustrates the point I'm talking to you about. Sunday morning, 
and a backache Sunday night. But by work time Monday morning, you're feeling quite all right. While one of the children has a cold, pneumonia, do you suppose? While the whole family had to stay home. Just to blow that poor kid's nose. Excuses, excuses, you'll hear them every day. Now the devil is smiling, if from church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. Well, a preacher, he's too young, and maybe he's too old. The sermons, they're not hard enough, and maybe they're too bold. His voice is much too quiet, like sometimes it gets too loud. He needs to have more dignity, or else he's way too proud. Well, the sermons, they're too long, and maybe they're too short. He ought to preach the word with dignity instead of stomp and snort. Well, that preacher we've got must be the world's most stuck-up man. Well, one of the ladies told me the other day. Well, he didn't even shake my hand. It's 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 you'll hear them every day. Now the devil, he'll supply them if the church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. I thought you'd so start clapping with a song or something, church, huh? He offers them excuses. Anybody remember that song? Anybody? I remember that song. <laughs> oh, they all had to stay home to blow his nose, yeah. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then his master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets of the lanes of the city. Bring the poor the crippled, the blind, the lame. If you are poor, we have a seat for you in this house. If you're rich, we've got a seat for you in this house. If you're addicted, we have a seat for you in this house. If you're homeless, we have a seat for you in this house. If you're broken, we have a seat for you in this house. If you don't have the right clothes, we have a seat for you in this house. If you have tattoos, we have a seat for you in this house. If you don't have tattoos, we have a seat for you in this house. If you're Republican, we've got a seat for you in this house. If you're Democrat, we've got a seat for you in this house. If you're Libertarian, we've got a seat for you in this house. If you are, if you've been, if you haven't been able to shower in a week, we've got a seat for you in this house. If you feel unwanted, we have a seat for you in this house. If you don't believe in yourself, we've got a seat for you in this house. If your life is a sum of a bunch of mistakes, we've got a seat for you in this house. There is always room for the hurting, the blind, and the lame, the broken, and those in need. There will always be room. And I'm going to tell you that the invitation is to all. It doesn't matter our race or color, our background, our culture, or any of that. It doesn't matter our, our economic status or, or the size of our house or how many cars. It, ma- it doesn't matter any of that. The invitation is to all. And so many times I've heard it. It's like, well, if I can just fix this in my life, then I can go to church. No, get to church so God can do it in your life. Well, I'm, I'm concerned of what people look down on me for what I wear. You know what? Just, just wear clothes. We're not a nudist colony. Wear what you got to wear. 
I remember one time early on, we hadn't been here very long, and um, somebody had gotten saved, and it was radical, man, it was beautiful, this young lady got saved, and I mean, she literally had, she had tattoos, and I mean, you know, sleeves, and um, she wanted to dress up nice for church, and uh, I didn't see her when she came in that morning, but we had some guests that morning, and, uh, and, and these guests after, I mean, they were mad, they came to me, they met me, I'll never forget, it was right here, they met me at this door, and I mean, they, I mean, really just chewed me up one side down the other of what this young lady was wearing, I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about, and so they point her out to me, I'm like, oh, I'm like, I, I, I straight up told them, I said, you know what, there's a lot of churches here, and we're not the one for you, because I know what God's done in that young lady's life. You want, what she wanted to do, she, she wanted to dress up for church, and she wanted to serve, and so she was helping us with some check-ins, and when we used to do it in the hallway, and so the nicest thing she had to wear is what she used to wear when she went to the bar, which was very tight and very revealing, but you know what, that didn't matter to me, because I knew the work of grace that God had in her heart. And I want to say it again, if you've got an issue of our dress code, if you've got an issue the way that somebody looks, dresses, acts, we may not be the place for you because this place is open to all. There's always room. I mean, you got to understand, yes, that that doesn't mean that we're not going to disciple. That doesn't mean that we didn't go to that young lady afterwards to her and said, you know what, we're going to start wearing t-shirts. Here's a church t-shirt, wear that on Sundays. It doesn't mean we're not going to do our discipleship. It doesn't mean that we're not going to teach biblical truth. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that uh, we're going we're to ridicule and, or anything of that nature. We're going to love, we're going to live life together. We're going to believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. We're going to take people from where they are and take them to where God wants them to be. And for some of us, we get it quick. And there's other ones like me that it takes a while because you're a little hard-headed. Verse 22, and the servant said, Sir, what you command has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways, to hedges, and compel people to come in. Why? So that my house may be full. So that my house may be full. And what to compel means, I mean, really, I mean, the definition of compel is to drive forcefully. Now, I'm not telling you to go carjack somebody and bring them to church. I'm not telling you to hold them at good point. But I'm going to tell you that there needs to be a incense about us when it comes to sharing our faith. It's don't, don't buy into that, that the things you can't talk, is one of the, you know, they said the two things you can't talk about is religion and politics, right? I'm going to tell you, I, I don't care what you talk about politics, but you better be sharing your faith. The scripture says to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that preaching part is just not for me behind this plexiglass pulpit on a stage. It's the life that we live out there. It's to your next door neighbor. It's to the waitress you'll see at the restaurant today when you go out and eat after church. It's to the lady at the cash register. I know sometimes it's hard to get their attention. I mean, I, you know, anymore, I don't want to go on that rant, maybe. 
You know, when I worked in the grocery store, we had to talk to the customers. Anyway, okay, sorry. You may have to get their attention, and at times I've had to. And to talk to them, or, or in those times you're inconvenienced, but yet you're in a crowd of people, you have to make the most, Scripture tells us. This is not Pastor Todd. The Scripture tells us to make the most of every opportunity. The most of every opportunity. Compel them to come in that my house may be full. We have plenty of room. We have plenty of room. Did you know that statistically that more people will come to church by your invitation than any other way? Do you realize that? People will come to church by your invitation than any other way. Then by a Facebook ad, then social media posts, then any other way they'll come by your invitation. And you know what? God designed it to use you as a vessel for life and power to flow out of you to touch other people's lives. He says, freely I have given to you. You've received much, now give it. Now sow it back. Now share it with someone else. Compel them. Compel them to come in. I, I, I know she's in the room, and I, I certainly don't intend to embarrass her, but I uh, was at the park yesterday, and, and uh, we, we were talking to a guy, and I mean, Vanessa was just sharing her life. I mean, I was just like, she had, she had to preach on, man. I mean, you were, she, I mean, man, you're dealing fire like spades. I, I, it, <laughs> I was like, you know, if that's really all you have to do is when you encounter people is tell your story. Tell your story. And I'm going to tell you something else is that you don't have to have the story that you were a drug dealer and a meth addict and, a, and, a, and whatever, I mean, whatever, whatever, whatever the, the, the addiction. I mean, that's, that's some of our testimonies, but it's not all of ours. It's not all of ours. And not one is greater or lesser than the other. Share your story. How you encountered God. What God has done in your life. How he's been faithful to you. And that will speak louder to people than anything else. By you just being authentic and sharing your story. Compel them to come in. And of course it kind of ends on this heavy note of, in verse 24, that none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. You know, I was... Uh, I, I sit in funerals so many times, especially, I've done, I, I do a lot of, of funerals that, I mean, we don't know. I mean, we, we don't know um, whether the person was a believer. We don't know, you know, maybe, maybe they had a moment right at the end where they got things right with God. But here's what I do know is that all of us in this room, at some point in time, we're going to go into eternity. And that's going to happen one of two ways. That's either going to happen by the grave or we're going to hear the trump of God blow and the archangel shout. And yes, I prefer the latter. I, I want to be caught up. But the fact of the matter is, is there's going to be a day that I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to answer for what I've done. Every word, every action... And make no mistake, church, 
It's just not for those that are lost that are going to stand before God. But the believer will as well. And we're going to answer for our thoughts, our actions, our, and what we've done. And I, I don't say, I'm not trying to like, you know, I'm not trying to be heavy or bring a downer. But here's, here's, here's what I want you to know is that you're, we're all going to spend eternity somewhere in some fashion or form. And you're here this morning, and it's by divine appointment. And the invitation's going out by the master saying, there's room at my table. There's room at my table. And yet there's so many that have rejected. There's so many that have turned away. But you have the opportunity to choose right now. Those watching online, you have the opportunity to choose right now the invitation to the table. And he says, are you broken? Would you come to my table? Are you sick? Would you come to my table? Do you have sin? Would you, would you come to my table? Is your heart broken? Would you come to my table? Is your life messed up? Would you come to my table? Are you in addiction? Would you come to my table? I mean, the invitation is to us all. But he also says, compel, do what we have to do to get them in here, to get them in the kingdom. And so the second part of this is, is what are you doing to compel them? Is your daily life wrapped up in what you have to do? I know it's a sobering thought to process and understand, but church, listen, I think I'm going to be held accountable for every person that I have crossed that God intended for me to share my faith and I didn't do it. I do. And I hope that you've never had an experience maybe like I What shifted me, what changed me in my life is when I first got saved. When I first got saved, you know, I'm not, you guys know my testimony. You, you, know, you know what life was like for me and, and, being, and running from the Lord. And when I got saved, I got saved on a sunny night. It was February 1994. At Midland First Assembly, I get back to my apartment, and man, I mean, I'm on cloud nine, man. I mean, it's like, life has never been so good. I mean, it's like, I mean, I mean, everything was just, I mean, everything felt good. It was just awesome. And that next Monday, I had a softball game, and, uh, and, and God was just kind of dealing with that whole day, that Monday. And so I had, I had two friends that I grew up with. I mean, we were... We were as tight as tight as can be, there's three of us. And uh, I, mean, we, I mean, from like first grade up until this point at 20 years old, I mean, we were really inseparable. The both of them lived in Odessa at the time. And so on, before I left for my softball game, I said, hey, I got a softball game tonight, but I want to I I connect with you guys tonight. And they're like, yeah, great. And so we're going to meet at one of their houses. So I get done with my softball game and I drive over here to Odessa and and so we're sitting on the front porch, and we're just talking, catching up, just, you know, conversating. Man, my heart is just like, I mean, if I look down, I probably could see my shirt move, you know. I'm like, I'm about to tell these guys what God has done in my life, and how he shifted and changed me. And we talked, and we talked, and we talked, and I never got the nerve to say what God had done to me. And so I, I you know, I, so I was like, well, I'll just do it another time, and I just need to pray more. I just need to... I need to make sure I, get, I say everything right. And so I get in the car. I'm, I'm driving home. I, and this is before I had a cell phone. 
This is 1994, guys, you know. And I, I come walking in the apartment, and the phone's ringing right when I'm walking in. And I answer the phone, and it's my friend Doug, and he says, Todd, he's like, you got to get back over here. He said, when we were leaving the house, uh, a lady ran a red light and T-boned Mark, and they're transporting him to, the, to MCH. And so I, I ran, I came back over here, and, and Mark never regained consciousness. He went to ICU and uh, died six months later of a, of, of, a, of a heart attack at 20 years old. And I lived in regret. I, was, I mean, it, it's not like he had six months after that conversation. It was that night. And I mean, God's, I, I believe God's forgiven me and, and I'm free from it. But I'm going to tell you, it drives me. Because I don't know when you're going to cross over to eternity. You could leave this church this morning and that same thing happened to any of us. To any one of us. I'm not, I'm not trying to give some story to, to turn, to, you know, to, to play on heartstrings or anything like that. I'm trying to speak a reality that we've all been invited to this banquet. But even though we've all been invited, if we reject it, we're making the choice of where we're spending our eternity, and it's not going to be in heaven or with the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that this message was an encouragement to you. Remember, you can find more about us at odessafirstassembly.com and also across the social media platforms. It is our prayer that God blesses you, keeps you, sustains you. And if you're ever in the area of the Permian Basin, come and join us at Odessa First Assembly. God bless you.